From bloated and tired to free and inspired, welcome to Free and Inspired Radio with Philip Watkins, your weekly dose of everything digestion and mental health related. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here is your host, Philip Watkins. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm your host, a naturopathic practitioner, Philip Watkins, and I'm grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, well, the title says it all. It's all about feeling free and inspired and exploring the many different avenues you can take to get there, whether it's deep dives on digestion and mental health solutions or guests who offer their own stories and answers. I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode. Coming up on this week's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode 32 of Free and Inspired Radio. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you've had a fantastic week wherever you may be listening from. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different and we're going to look at a specific compound. We look at N-acetylcysteine or NAC for mental health. And I think this is an excellent example of a compound that has some outstanding research that hasn't necessarily translated to human studies. And we're going to try and dissect that in this episode. Hopefully, you'll hear about the one thing that I do find NAC works for in mental health and hopefully also I can deconstruct some of the ambiguity that you might come out with at the over the course of this episode. So let's just get started. N-acetylcysteine or NAC is a nutritional compound that seems to be beneficial for everybody. Uh, at least that's how the initial research was presented and let's have a look at how it might help you. So NAC as it's usually known is a popular over-the-counter supplement and an FDA approved drug not many people know that, an FDA-approved drug used for paracetamol overdose. Interest in NAC's use spans multiple conditions, such as polycystic ovarian syndrome to respiratory illnesses, illnesses such as COPD and the big C word, which I've since realized I'm not allowed to speak about too much um, on, these, uh, on these podcasts, but I'm sure you know what I mean. And finally, NAC can really help with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease as well. So look, we're going to concentrate definitely just on mental health here. I've seen some great results clinically using NAC within these variety of conditions. But as I said, we're going to focus on some of the mental health conditions such as depression, anxiety, addiction, and one particular area where I've seen very good results with patients. So hopefully if you can listen, just stay tuned and I'll definitely get to where this helps. But first, let's just look at NAC in general, look at why it's popular, and that will hopefully go to explain why it was quite uh, initially quite an exciting addition to what was considered to be nutritional psychiatry or uh, just you know, mental health in general. Now, NAC is an amino acid and has multiple actions in the body. Some of these actions include antioxidant effects, anti-inflammatory effects, reversal of energy production problems within cells, referred to as mitochondrial dysfunction. So if you're new to the term mitochondrial or mitochondria, 
They are what they what's considered to be the factory or powerhouse of your cells, and they help to create the energy there. And sometimes they can get a little bit imbalanced. So NAC can help with that. And interestingly, early research on regulating dopamine release in the brain is a big one for NAC as well, which may come around to why addiction seems to be a big focus for NAC use. One of NAC's main actions is as a component of glutathione, which is the master antioxidant of the body, or some nickname it has. Uh, Glutathione is also the primary antioxidant in the brain, which is important. So for some, NAC can be a rate-limiting factor for glutathione production. This limitation means that without NAC, a massive channel of detoxification in the liver called glutathione conjugation, hence the term, can't work as well. And from here, people can experience what's called a glutathione deficiency. To put this in a more realistic context, this glutathione conjugation channel of the liver is responsible for breaking down inflammatory chemicals, alcohol, paracetamol, hence the FDA approval, mold and bacterial toxins and some heavy metals such as cadmium mercury and lead now i often joke to my local patients that this is the hong kong column of toxins because i think one way or another if you live in hong kong you're going to be exposed to alcohol paracetamol mold and bacteria and heavy metals regardless of how clean or careful you are so in this case nac can be pretty important right Other things that can cause the loss of glutathione are things like high-fat diets, LDL cholesterol, linoleic acid from flaxseed oil, would you believe, and iron. They can all cause glutathione loss. So I'll just repeat that because some people may not necessarily know this. High-fat diets, LDL cholesterol, linoleic acid from flaxseed oil, and iron can all cause glutathione loss from the cells. And for this reason, or these reasons, NAC can step in to ensure that glutathione levels stay optimal optimal in the body. Now, I've, I have a lot of people ask me, I've heard the term antioxidant a lot. Why is it important? What is oxidation? So let's just get into that briefly for you. Oxidation is essential when examining NAC's role in mental health in the brain. And I like to think of oxidation simply as a natural process in the body that causes damage when it gets out of control. Now, when oxidation isn't managed well in the body, it can cause stress on the cells, causing them to react and cause issues. So it's here where you might have heard the term oxidative stress or oxidative stress. Now, whilst it's not hugely discussed in the public health landscape, I can guarantee you that if you spend 30 seconds in a naturopathic or natural medicine conference, someone's going to mention oxidative stress. And it's a very big focus for our profession. And as much as I joke about it, oxidative stress is essential when it comes to research into the development of disease in general. For example, one review has oxidative stress's role in almost everything. And when I say that, I mean everything including cancer, inflammation, seizure, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, liver disease, heart attack, stroke, and diabetes. So one way or another, our oxidative stress is going to come and get you. And look, this is where everyone got so excited about NAC, right? Because contributing to glutathione, which you can also take as a supplement as well, and making sure that the the body can somewhat control oxidative stress in a natural way, you know, a balanced way, is going to have a huge effect on not just your mental health, but a lot of other things as well. So I guess from that definition, taking a lot of antioxidants sounds like the right idea. Well, 
I'm here to tell you that current research suggests that there is a balance in how much antioxidants you should actually take. And in some cases, high antioxidant supplementation may not be as beneficial as once thought. And now this has been going on since the 80s. There has been infomercials or God knows how many different forms of advertising saying, you know, so-and-so berry or whatever has a huge antioxidant content and all of these things. And once again, I can thank Felice Jacker actually and her incredibly active Twitter account for, I think, gosh, it was years ago now, who posted the first study that showed that high antioxidant consumption can actually be negative for you. And uh, there was actually one study that I uh, came across just when I was putting this together that says that um, high antioxidant supplementation can actually um, inhibit exercise recovery and performance, for example. So it seems like there's a happy balance there with antioxidation. Therefore, it's better to give the body the resources it needs to manage oxidation in its own way rather than just flooding it with, with antioxidants and enter NAC, right? It's a rate-limiting factor for the body to produce its own form of antioxidant. And this is where I think NAC is a great addition. But the big question is, and you know, for you, the listener, you kind of started this looking into NAC and how it might translate to helping you feel better for your mental health. So look, enough, enough about the general uses of NAC. How does it translate to some of these things you're trying to manage? Well, currently NAC carries interest in its potential role in conditions such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depressive disorders, anxiety, OCD, substance use, addiction, and chronic pain. Oh, that's quite a list. So NAC can you know, cover quite a large quantity of these different mental health conditions. But let's look at depression first and whether or not there is actually, you know, some use for NAC. So it's an interesting time to put this episode together, especially after last week where a very, very divisive study was released basically saying that low serotonin and a chemical imbalance was not the primary cause of depression. So I will repeat that. A study was released last week that was the probably the clearest and most... I guess, direct statement that low serotonin and a chemical imbalance is not the primary cause of depression, which basically for a lot of us now says, well, what now? You know, there's, I think a lot of people were quite in shock. I think if you're interested in research and science, there are, there is actually one particular article that gets statements from some of the leading psychiatry researchers all around the world and their thoughts on it and i think that'll give you a more balanced view but back to the podcast back to nac the an interesting question regarding this study and how it relates back to nac is that ssris and antidepressants have actually got some very strong research into their anti-inflammatory role especially when it comes to inflammation in the brain Now, how does this loop back to NAC? Glad you asked. 
the remember we discussed oxidation a little earlier well the brains of people with depressions have seen high levels of oxidative damage and inflammation and increased levels of antioxidants that reduce after antidepressant therapy suggesting that one of the ways that antidepressants may actually be helping people is via actually turning down oxidation and also turning down inflammation within the brain as opposed to fixing a chemical imbalance etc so definitely watch this space here on that but based on nac's role on increasing glutathione which you're now an expert in remember the preferred antioxidant the brain is glutathione nac might have more importance than ever in fact we're waiting on the results of a study that's looking at whether or not nac may be a viable add-on to antidepressants for treatment resistant depression which would suggest that NAC may actually cover the role of anti-inflammation and oxidative problems along with an antidepressant as well. But I mean, gosh, after last week, who knows where the research is going to go to really help people with depression. I think more than ever, we're going to have to go back to the, I say we, I'm not a researcher in a lab, but the it, it seems like back to the drawing board. And I think now we're going to see oxidative stress and inflammation become more prominent in thinking about ways that we can help people with depression. Maybe NAC is a big part of that. Who knows? Other human studies have shown that NAC did not help with depression as a singular therapy. And hey, I told you there was going to be some ambiguity, but it's important to bring a balance here. And if there have been successful studies, which there have been, the effect has been modest but significant. So look, this is where sometimes we just need to keep looking at the new studies and seeing where they come through. But this subtle change uh, for the better suggests that NAC might be best with other agents. And I'd be inclined to agree with that from how I've used NAC for people with depressive um, symptoms in the, in the clinic. So what about anxiety? So NAC and anxiety. So the writing or putting together of this episode... We're still in the same place as, as we are with, with depression, really, and how NAC can help. Most brains of people living with anxiety in its various forms have evidence of oxidative stress and changes in brain chemistry that make the use of NAC seem appropriate. However, while preclinical and preliminary studies show scope for using NAC and anxiety, it's fair to say that, once again, the human trials are ne really necessary to see if we're on the right track. And once again, I'm going to explain in the second half of the show exactly where I think it might help anxiety. And please do stay tuned if you can, because I feel like some of the confusion and some of the negativity or at least the negative outcomes in the studies are going to make a lot more sense. And hopefully why I did this episode on NAC and specifically mental health will make a lot more sense after the break. On Free and Inspire Radio, we'll be back with more soon. Time to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more free and inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. 
Yes, yes, welcome back to Free and Inspire Radio episode 32, where we look at the popular over-the-counter amino acid, NAC, and its potential role in mental health. So as you would have found in the first half of this show, NAC isn't showing well in some of the major categories in human studies for depression and anxiety, but in this half of the show, I'm going to discuss somewhere I think it has great potential and some case studies to think about as well. But let's start with which conditions does NAC help? Now remember this episode is specifically on mental health and this final section I'm going to deliver some more promising news where NAC might be able to solve some problems and first off I'm going to look at addiction. Small studies have seen positive results for cannabis addiction, cocaine dependency, traumatic brain injury aside from um, aside from addiction gambling and self-harm now i've included traumatic brain injury and self-harm because they can actually be wrapped up in a lot of addictive problems especially traumatic brain injury so the research there is really really cool and um, especially in vets in the u.s so if you uh, have played rugby been in the military maybe looking at nac if you need to but as i said best to treat see someone who's an expert there NAC might help conditions associated with impulse control, rumination, and negative thoughts that are difficult to control. Now, I'm going to repeat that. NAC might help conditions associated with impulse control, rumination, so thinking about the past or thinking about things a little more excessively than you'd like, and negative thoughts, so in a critic, for example, that are difficult to control. Now, it's in this way where I see it help in the clinic. In fact, I did this whole episode to get to this point. So if you got to this point, thank you, because I really believe NAC can work for these symptoms. Now, we can all identify with either our own experience or a close someone's experience with negative, difficult-to-control thoughts. These thoughts can be daily, hourly, and unexpected and they don't have to be related to addiction but just can get to the point where they just seem normal for example people can just say negative things to themselves and they can drive or snowball into more and it can be ad nauseum for some and if that's you hopefully there's a way for you to find some solutions here but a lot of the time they can actually drive depressive and anxious feelings and also when it comes to addiction acting out right when it comes to especially when it comes to food and drug use as well and I must say I see more food addiction than ever before especially post uh, the pandemic as well so imagine turning the volume down on those thoughts and feelings as if they are and feeling as if they are less intense and more manageable than before and it's here where I've seen many people land almost immediately when using NAC especially in more acute doses that we've seen in some of the studies that I've referenced above. NAC can be used in these high doses only temporarily and I'm not going to give you those doses because I do feel like you probably, in this case, you probably need to be monitored by a practitioner and I would say the safety studies are looking definitely around 20 weeks, so that's around about five to six months. However, from clinical experience, they're not research studies here, so definitely not medical advice, I see a lot of the benefits people experience from using NAC regarding their thought patterns stabilize over that time to a point where NAC isn't as necessary, which is super cool. So add counseling to NAC and use it, 
add counseling to NACU, excuse me, for repetitive and negative thought patterns and amplify the benefits. And this is something that I've repetitively seen in clinic if people are seeing a counsellor and they use NAC at the same time. I've seen some really lovely results because I think NAC can give people a little bit more space in their brain. And when those thoughts aren't as loud, aren't as intense, sometimes, or I say most of the time, nine out of ten times, the thoughts become easier to deconstruct, easier to rationalise, and hence they don't snowball. Therefore, sometimes when you go and see your counsellor, you can maybe articulate yourself differently or they can help you to kind of build on those kind of benefits as well. This may not be the case for you, but if you haven't tried counselling yet and you have these kind of negative thoughts and, and repetitive kind of thoughts, constantly thinking about the past, then maybe using an AC and a counsellor is worth thinking about. The state of the research here relating to NAC and mental health is exciting, even though it presented maybe you know a mixed bag. Um, and it, it look, it's honest, it isn't translating to humans just yet. But I think there's some light at the end of the tunnel. But literally four weeks ago, uh, one of my favourite researchers from Australia, Jerome Saris. Uh, hopefully he's going to be on this podcast at some stage, um, found that NAC had no benefit for people with OCD. And this was a phase three trial, I believe, which basically means that this is the third phase of uh, trials which um, for NAC and OCD. And unfortunately, it came up with nothing. And uh, there was quite a large group of people there. They used very strict controls and whilst you know it, there was a lot of promise for OCD notice I didn't mention it until now because unfortunately I think this trial maybe does suggest that NAC on its own might not be as promising in obsessive compulsive disorder as we once thought but look I think studies like this give us a reality check and it also suggests that whilst there you know whilst there are very many successful studies there, you know, these are just as important because then it helps us to be more focused and give the right person the right therapy. And that's really, really cool. NAC, I think, is a good example of a situation where the hype of function-oriented science, so, you know, stuff that we do on cells and rats and things like that, if you type in NAC and rat studies and mental health, it will seem like the cure-all. And I think, uh, you know, this is where hopefully through listening to this podcast you can find out a little bit more about the transition from animals to humans and what that might mean for you as in regards to actually solving your problems with natural medicine uh, I think CBD is a good example of that as well I'm a big proponent of CBD I've interviewed some of the world's best uh, leaders in CBD for a previous role and look but you know when it comes to humans you know maybe the uh yeah anyway it doesn't translate but we'll leave the controversy out of this won't we what do you think i mean i hope this article well, this article this episode shows that uh, sometimes making common symptoms such as repetitive thinking negative self-talk and impulse control less intense can ultimately lead to better outcomes regardless of the more condition specific studies now this isn't the case all the time we still need to listen to studies that don't tell us what we want to hear and our expectations need to rely realign on that basis. However, with NAC, 
I'm looking forward to seeing the broader potential it can play in the toolkit for people's daily mental quality of life. And I refer to how we speak to ourselves, how intense that voice is, and hopefully, you know, just freeing up some space there and getting a break from the intensity of what can seem like a mouse wheel. There are a few themes to deconstruct in this podcast, I think, and one of I think I've covered the main ones. You know, sometimes the hype doesn't translate to humans and we have to suck it up. But another is that lumping in treating, uh, you know, lumping in treatment to cover all conditions under the mental health banner can be a dangerous game. In saying that, though, I believe as our research evolves in the origin story of mental health conditions such as depression, anxiety and addiction and what we discussed before about oxidation and inflammation, we'll see solutions such as NAC become essential accessories for success. So whilst the research isn't showing up that on its own it's it's doing the do, uh, you might find that using NAC as an accessory to other treatments is just as important and plays just as an important role in the future. What do you think? Before we finish this episode of Free and Inspire Radio, if you'd love to hear more from me and get the word on new articles, podcast episodes and more, jump over to the website, philipwatkins.health and join our community via the newsletter, sign up on the homepage. Soon enough, you'll be able to download the new ebook that is all done. Big thanks to Amanda at My Creative for that. Oh, it took a long time to get it right. But the ebook Psychobiotics, so probiotics and mental health, is free on mental, uh, sorry, on philipwatkins.health. And uh, if you sign up to our community, you will get that for nothing in your inbox. Now, as always, your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help me get the word on the street. If you're listening to this on YouTube, throw the video a like and subscribe. It helps, really does, to see when each new podcast is uploaded on YouTube. If you are one of those listeners that has got all this way to the end of the episode, me rambling away, I'm really, really grateful that you've done so, and I hope this show is helping you to find the freedom to feel inspired again one step closer uh, next until next week don't forget to take care of yourself and those around you and we'll be back with more free and inspire radio next week until then bye oh my gosh you made it to the end This show is all about you, and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.